Hey, gang, this week's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Hey, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app now, create an account, and use code GOODSEATS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code GOODSEATS for $20 off. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Download Game Time today. And now, here's our show. Kendrick ready. Here's the 1-0. Popped up out of play, foul ball, 1-1. One one. Two out in the bottom of the ninth, Pete Kendrick. Trying to mow him down one more time. Kendrick, who went nine innings in one game one, is on the verge of doing it in game five. Nichols is the batter. Two out in the bottom of the ninth. Their fans are asking them to stand up. Kendrick line. Here's the 1-1. Right field. Bobby Gould. Bobby Gould. Stars win. Stars win. Stars win. The league championship belongs to Huntsville. They're mobbing Kendrick on the infield. The Stars have won it 5-3. The fans are turning and looking at me and staring at me like I'm crazy. The Stars have won the Southern League Championship. Oh, my stars. Bobby Gould caught it. We won it. Five to three, the final. Oh. Bobby Gould made it. He caught it. What a rally. I don't believe it. I didn't believe it last night, and I don't believe it tonight. These two teams have played as good a baseball as you can ask for. And the Stars have won it. Go to Delivery Stable. You know what the deal is. Art, i got to take a break. I'll be back in a few minutes. Take a break. Tony Giovanni, thank you, partner. I just got some congratulations from Tony. The plays, the old play, but oh man, what a game. Five to three, the Stars win. No, I'll do it like I'm supposed to. We'll take the, the delivery stable break. We'll be back in a moment on the Stars Radio Network. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. My goodness, can you feel the excitement? Hi there, everybody. It's Tim Hanlon. It's Good Seats Still Available, the curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. Thank you for finding us. Huntsville Stars. You remember that team? Minor League Baseball, Huntsville, Alabama. Yes, we're going to double A, the Southern League, 1985 in particular, with our guest this week, Dale Tafoya. It's called One Season in Rocket City how the 1985 Huntsville Stars brought minor league baseball fever to Alabama. And boy, oh boy, there you go. There's the call on the call. Yes, it's 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 Rick Davis. He can't control himself. It's the Huntsville Stars defeating the Charlotte O's to win the 1985 double A Southern League Championship live and exclusive on WFIX 1450 a.m. in Huntsville. That's in September of 1985. What a story this team was. Uh, not only winning the championship, we're talking about names that uh, that were future major leaguers on this team. Jose Canseco, for one. Terry Steinbeck. Um, 
Luis Polonia. I mean, just on and on and on. And uh, what an assemblage of talent and what a story this is. But before we get into the setup for the story, you got to hear what happened after uh, Rick uh, calls uh, that sort of final. He's he's going into a commercial break, if you can believe it. Uh, and, I, you know, how, how do you win a championship and segue into a spoken word uh, promo uh, is beyond me. But here's here's how, how it sounded right after the clip just ended before. Here's, uh, here's Rick Davis. I hope there's a celebration going on at Delivery Stable Pizza because, my golly, there sure deserves to be one. The Stars, with a run in the eighth, the tie it, and Rocky Coyle with a oh, look at Rocky. Brian Dorsett just picks him up and bear hugs him. It's all over in Charlotte, and the Stars have won it 5-3. to three. It's all over. Delivery Stable Pizza is going to give you 10% off, I think, maybe more. I don't know. But anyway, that's a great place to celebrate. Man, do we need some celebrating. These last two days have been brutal on us. Huntsville 5, Charlotte 3. Five runs every night. 5% off every night. And five runs tonight is 10% off. Enjoy it, folks. You know where it is. Delivery Stable Pizza. They've been great to us all year. Why don't you be great to them tonight? It's our final game of the year. We won it. And that's the only one that matters. Delivery Stable Pizza. Hamilton Square Shopping Center. Now that is a pro. Rick Davis with the call. Uh, in the moment, winning the Southern League Championship of 1985, and he still has the presence of mind to sell like the devil for delivery stable pizza. Was it 5% off? Was it 10% off? Gee, I hope it was more. But uh, the good folks at Delivery Stable Pizza, I don't even know if they're around anymore. But Joe did, Joe, Rick Davis did his best <laughs> in the moment and uh, celebrating. I'm sure there was lots of pizza to be had. Uh, that September 1985 evening. Um, our guest this week, again, Dale Tafoya, the great book about this uh, first ever season of this team. The team doesn't exist anymore. Well, it actually kind of does. Huntsville Stars uh, showed up in 1985, and and the whole lead up to, to how they got even there to Huntsville in the first place, uh, it, it takes up the whole bunch of our conversation with Dale to start with. Uh, let's put it this way. Uh, it was a, a pretty... Um, a hectic start, uh, and it involves Nashville. Uh, it involves Evansville, Indiana, uh, and uh, it ultimately winds up in Huntsville uh, with a brand new, ultimately, uh, multi-purpose stadium uh, called uh, Joe Davis Stadium. Uh, I think it may still be around. I don't know if it's been uh, abandoned or still in use or whatever, but now the team uh, actually still exists. Uh, they moved at the end of 2014 season. Uh, to become, they were do- now domiciled uh, in Biloxi, Mississippi. They are the Biloxi Shuckers. Uh, and But this is a fun story because uh, it, not only is it the uh, arrival of uh, minor league baseball in Huntsville, uh, a, uh, a city that actually had uh, uh, quite a bit of, of history uh, with the game of baseball, but had been bereft of baseball for quite some time. And the arrival of the re-arrival of baseball in 1985 was quite the thing. And as the, at the time, the uh, minor league affiliate of the Oakland A's, don't get me started on that story. It's a whole nother conversation for another day. Uh, But the uh, arrival and the first ever season and winning, capping it all off, as you just heard with the dulcet tones and the excitable voice uh, of Rick Davis, uh, winning 
the Southern League Championship. So a heck of a year for sure. And that's what we talk about this week with our guest, Dale Tafoya. Again, the book is called One Season in Rocket City. And as we uh, slowly segue into the conversation, uh, we highly suggest you get a copy of this book. It came out uh, a few weeks back in uh, in April, and uh, it is published by our pals at uh, the University of Nebraska Press. It's a fun read. And again, you're going to get into uh, a whole bunch of uh, Tim Belcher is part of the story. Jose Canseco, as we said, uh, Luis Polonia, Terry Steinbeck, Stan Javier, uh, Brian Dorsey. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, names if you're a baseball fan, that you might uh, remember from their major league days. And and essentially, the Huntsville team was uh, a stock and chock full of uh, Oakland's top prospects back then. And, and sure enough, they won the championship. Get the book right now, why don't you? It's available wherever you can get uh, fine books. And of course, if you go to our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com to search up this uh, episode, which is numbered what is it now? 303. My goodness. With Dale Tafoya, you'll find on the website there a convenient link or two or three to the book, and you'll be whisked away to Amazon. And uh, when you buy the book and any book or, or other form of media from our website, uh, we'll get a couple of nickels uh, and dimes of referral love. We appreciate that. Uh, that's one of the small ways that we uh, generate enough uh, uh, coinage, shall we say, to keep the lights on and the heat going or the air conditioning as we get into the summer around here. So it's the least you can do, friends. So we appreciate you doing that. And uh, sadly, uh, if you're going out of your way to do it, well, we appreciate you doing it uh, nonetheless. And hopefully it's for the proverbial good cause. Again, the book, One Season in Rocket City. Uh, get the book. And uh, hopefully this conversation uh, with Dale will entice you to do so. So why don't we waste no more time? And get right to it, shall we? Here's our conversation we had a few weeks back. Please, as always, enjoy. From my research, it looks like you've got two books coming out in the next two months. Yeah, um, well, uh, the paperback for Billy Ball, as Billy Ball and the Resurrection of the Oakland A's, the hardcover came out uh, in 2020, and the paperback uh, came out in March. So that 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 the paperback has just come out and now I have one season in Rocket City and that's coming out officially. The publication date is April 1st. Got it. But they both have an Oakland A's attachment to them. Is that uh, a source of am I digging into some uh, ideas to to maybe how both of these stories uh, and books came about? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I grew up uh, in the East Bay here. Oakland is about 20 minutes from where I live. So I followed a lot of A's uh, A's games and and follow the A's. So the Billy Martin book is, is a story of, uh, about the A's, um, uh, a kind of a, a resurrection of a franchise back in 1980 until like 92. There was a renaissance, and it, that kind of book is about really leadership and what Billy Martin brought to the A's. And yeah, this is a book that has a little bit of, of an A's bent, but the, it's based in Huntsville, Alabama. So I think it covers more just Huntsville, Alabama, and more minor league baseball with some A's con context because I have uh, accrued a lot of uh, A's contacts in the org organization over the years. So that's kind of where that where that bent came from. Well, the, the reason why I'm bringing it up, of course, is that uh, as we get into this conversation and, and the story uh, of this team, the Huntville star is no longer with us. It qualifies completely <laughs> for this little show. Uh, the very first season uh, and their debut in 1985 what major league team were they affiliated with? Said A's. 
the Oakland A's. Yeah, the first year of ex existence. So, and as we get into the discussion, uh, the impetus of the story begins in Nashville, Tennessee, in the heart of a, a baseball savant named Larry Schmidow as I'm sure you did your research on. on yeah, on. well, so so let's get, let's see, so this is, it's interesting. So the A's are literally just one team that this Huntsville Stars story is related to because in many respects, this is uh, preceded, if you will, by the first version of the Nashville Sounds. Maybe you can sort of set the tone for us here and also maybe give us the, uh, Give us the the year that we're kind of sort of circling around this sort of pre-story of the original Nashville Sounds because it's integral to the story. Yeah, uh, like I said, the the impetus uh, of of the hunts of the nineteen eighty five Huntsville Stars uh, came uh, in the heart of Larry Schmidt. Larry Schmidt was this uh, baseball prodigy that championed baseball uh, at every level in Nashville. He, he was he was a baseball player coming up. He lived and breathed baseball, and he's still considered Mr. Baseball in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, he started coaching baseball uh, in his teens, and he was he was the top-tier coach of all the amateur uh, teams in Nashville. He was the premier coach. All the players wanted to, to in Nashville wanted to play for him, and uh, he, he, he resurrected uh, Vanderbilt's located in Nashville. He resur resurrected Danville, uh, Vanderbilt's uh, neglected program in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, but his ultimate vision uh, was to bring a major league baseball franchise to Nashville. And that was his end game. And, and you still hear talks about a major league baseball expansion team coming to Nashville. So I think that that's an int that's interesting story to, to still follow. So he he forms the Nashville Sounds in 19 late 1977 and a part of his ownership group to start was country music legend Conway Twitty and Conway Twitty brought in uh, Richard Sturman of the Oak Ridge, Boy, Oak Ridge Boys as far as the ownership group. So uh, Larry Schmidow had country music money backing him. So he starts the Nashville Baseball Club. Uh, it later becomes two years later, the Nashville Sounds. The first two years, Schmidow is affili affiliated with the Cincinnati Reds. After the two, after the contract ends, Schmidow brings in the New York Yankees. And that's where the Yankees are affiliated with them for five years. And the Sounds were just an enormous success. And what Schmidow did, Tim, he combined the Music City theme of, of, of the entertainment theme of music city with baseball and uh like i said it was a huge success and and he was a m marketing genius and entrepreneurial genius uh in 1980 the sounds drew almost 600 fans uh in 1982 uh in one game they drew over 22,000 fans so this guy knew how to market and even in the early 80s the texas rangers tapped schmidt to be uh, their marketing director I mean, he just he just had the, the man had a golden touch and the the sounds continued to leave the Southern League. That was the league that they played in. They continued to lead the Southern League in attendance. But as 1983, 1984 came around, the the interest in the sounds in Nashville was wane, waning a little bit and attendance was declining a little bit. And Schmidow, knowing the end game was to bring a major league franchise he, he was able to 
purchased the Evansville uh, triplets of the American Association uh, in Evansville, Indiana. They were uh, a dying franchise. That purchase was critical because he was able to bring that AAA club to Nashville and elevate Nashville from AA to AAA, which, of course, is a uh, a step classification right below the Major League Baseball. So, so, he before, was able- before, you, so before you go, let's, let's clear this up. So in essence, the Nashville Sounds kind of debut out of nowhere, become this phenomenon as a AA franchise. And as the attendance starts to wane in the early 1980s, he's got this idea of helping Nashville go to the next level by, if you will, reclaiming or finding another trip, an actual AAA team in Evansville, Indiana, of all places, to bring and relocate into Nashville and ostensibly, I'm guessing, move this AA franchise further elsewhere. Yes. Is that right? Yes, and that that was that was the scenario. Bringing the uh, that double A that triple A franchise, which was affiliated with the with the Detroit Tigers, elevating bringing that triple A franchise to Nashville and elevating uh, Nashville to triple A. This shell of a franchise, the Nashville Sounds, he he still needed a home for that, and they were in the Southern League, and that's what put into motion uh, Schmidt eventually delivering this double A franchise, this shell of a franchise. To Huntsville, Alabama, in August of 1984, and Huntsville hadn't had a pro baseball team since 1955 when the Huntsville Springers folded. All right, so let me ask you about Schmidt. Then, so uh, is it essentially his idea to be the owner of both of these franchises, or is that verboten in minor league baseball at that time? Well, he, he was the figurehead of the ownership group. He was, of course, backed by the by country music money. But he 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 not only owned the sounds in that Huntsville franchise, he was growing an empire of of, of minor league clubs, and that that was he was owning them. And at, at that time, as as the book articulates, uh, the minor minor league baseball was changing, and, and owners they weren't owning a baseball team just for a, t- a minor league team just for a tax write off. They were buying franchise and flipping them and selling them for, for more. So, yeah, he he was he didn't just own those two teams. He he was he was a, a minor league uh, baseball mogul, if you will. All right. So, where where do the Evansville Triplets play into this? How how is that the franchise that's that's found? if you will, to sort of uh, be part of this swap slash move. Uh, and uh, how does he essentially get it and 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 then sort of engineer that team relocating and renaming itself in Nashville in order to facilitate the move of the double-A club? Well, that Evansville franchise, uh, Tim, was dying for, for a while. Uh, in fact, Schmidt wanted to purchase uh, that franchise earlier but they weren't ready to sell. Uh, attendance was so bad in Evansville that uh, the Detroit Tigers, the parent club, uh, came to play there, and there are only a few thousand fans there. And usually, if a parent club club comes to an affiliate, you're going to have a sellout crowd. There was little interest there in, the, in that franchise in the red. And here again, in the end game, Larry Schmidt wanted to elevate Nashville to AAA, and that was an opportunity, and that purchase uh, was critical because it was it enabled him to bring that AAA franchise to Nashville, and Nashville would be AAA classified as AAA and in the American Association. But I, I'm guessing it wasn't sort of smooth sailing, right? So, I mean, 
in order to get a team in the triple a he's got and he's owns a team in double a and he's got basically three cities he's got to sort of you know deal with um how does this all play out and and is there any even sort of order to this like does one have to happen before the other like for example does he have to find a home for the double a franchise before he can effectively allow the move of an evansville franchise into nashville to take its place or let me guess i'm guessing that's it's not a straight line <laughs> and and it's probably a little uh juggling shall we say of plates in the air while stuff sort of plays out no a- absolutely it was just a flurry of, of franchise cross franchise movement and i called it a game of musical chairs uh uh because you, you had the southern league by schmidto elevating nashville to triple a they were they were they would now be a part of the American Association. Now, this Nashville Sounds was the Southern League's most profitable and, and popular franchise. So Schmidt elevating Nashville to AAA frustrated the Southern League directors because they were they were losing uh, the Nashville Sounds. So that you have that uh, playing into it. And also, uh, Schmidt needed to pay uh, Na- uh, Nashville a vacating fee as well. So yeah, you you did you had certain certain there was certain confusion and a lot of a lot of uh, movement during that time, and uh, but everything kind of happened at once uh, uh, around ni- uh, August of 1984 when uh, that that uh, Nashville Double A franchise was green lighted to go into Huntsville and everything uh, fell into place where that Triple A franchise in Nashville. Uh, was settled, and so was the AA uh, franchise in Huntsville. And that AAA franchise, uh, I know it can get confusing, it remained, they kept the name the Nashville Sounds for that AAA franchise as well. So was there an agreement that he he wrote he uh, signed or something that said that every every city he's dealing with has to have end in the, in the word Ville? <laughs> I, I, never no, thought so, of, I, I, I never thought of that, but... Uh, <laughs> there you go. Maybe it's for your next book. But no, yeah. so, all right. So how does... So let's we're already assuming that Huntsville is sort of a done deal, but where and how does Huntsville come in into the mix? Like why and how does that how does that city come into play for him as the place to relocate this double A Nashville version team? Yeah, well, well now we, we come uh, Joe W. Davis, the mayor of Huntsville, the five term mayor of Huntsville since 1968. He loved baseball and there was uh, Huntsville was craving for entertainment and he wanted to bring uh, a major league. I mean, a, a minor league club to to fill that void. And you got to give him credit for even government government officials to to see a need of what a franchise, uh, a sports franchise can bring to a city. So Schmidto had talked with uh, Joe Davis a couple of years before about bringing a single A club to Huntsville. But the, what always kept Huntsville from a team was the lack of a stadium. But this opportunity was perfect when uh, Schmidto was looking for a, a, a home for his double A franchise. Davis wanted to strike, strike the honor while it was hot. And, and so he allowed Schmidto to propose the double A franchise in front of the city council. And that that's that that movement started in uh, July of of 1984. And there were talks because 
Also with Nashville, once the Detroit Farm Club came to Nashville to form the AAA club, the Yankees were out of a home. So many felt that if that if Schmidt brings the AA franchise to Huntsville, the Yankees are going to to come uh, with him to Nashville. But that wasn't the case. The Yankees went transferred their uh, AA club to Albany, New York. So you that had that come to play. But you have to give Joe Joe W. Davis credit in that the, the new stadium was named after him because he fought hard to get that to get that team to Huntsville. And there were challenges, as I'm sure we're going to discuss. Well, okay. So, but why why was he? What, what was I mean? He's a baseball fan. Okay. I mean, I, if there's some civic uh, benefit there, some uh, personal pocket lining by perhaps being a minority owner of the t- like, what's what is the driving force of? Is it you know? Is it just sheer? I'm the mayor, and I want to elevate this city to, you know, as as we see on the major league side, you know, to give it some sort of credibility by having a some level of professional sports team. Well, at the time, Huntsville Huntsville desperately needed an outlet to bring the community together. Uh, it was recognized and celebrated as a space town after Werner von Braun arrived and designed the Saturn V rocket that shot man to the moon during the space race with the Soviet Union. Before that, it was a cotton and cattle town. Uh, but Huntsville, for entertainment, they had the Redstone Arsenal. They had a nice downtown area and they had some small civic centers. But the city lacked a, a major attraction to bring the community community together. Um, like one resident told me, it needed a venue for the community to explode in. And the stars eventually fit the bill and filled that void. And I think that was the intent for uh, for Mayor Joe Davis to, to 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 bring minor league baseball to enhance the community. Did, was was this stadium named after him immediately after its construction in 1984? Or eighty five, yeah, it was it was named after him. It was going to be named after him right after the uh, Huntsville City Council approved uh, approved uh, the the uh, the contract and the proposal to bring to bring uh, the farm club to Huntsville. So yeah, absolutely. In fact, Joe Davis uh, on the home home opener in nineteen eighty five to open the new stadium uh, throughout the first pitch. So uh, he he uh, and, and he he deserved it. He worked hard for it. So. Give me a sense then. So this this franchise gets relocated. The sounds of the AAA now are firmly ensconced and its own different story. So give me give us give our audience a bit of a of a sense of sort of how the preparation and the arrival of this franchise comes about in 1984-85. Well, as Schmidt gives the first proposal to to the city council to bring the AA franchise, his AA franchise, to Huntsville, uh, there was one demand that he had in the proposal that 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 the hunt that the Huntsville officials, the city council, uh, was very concerned about. Schmidt insisted on beer sales in the new stadium, and Huntsville was going to finance the new stadium, uh, and they ended up building the stadium in a little over thirty three weeks. But the Huntsville uh, City Council shot down uh, selling alcohol in the new stadium, and uh, this the the deal almost almost ne- never happened. I mean, approving alcohol sales in the heart of the Bible Bible Belt back then was one of the hardest things you could do. Uh, back then, if someone wanted to purchase some wine in a grocery store, there they had to go into a curtain back room 
and it was privately put in the bag, bag and, and the customer had to hold it in the bag till, till he left the store. That was kind of the climate uh, as far as alcohol sales. And also, uh, about two weeks later in, in August, August 12th, there was a huge brawl, and you can look this up on YouTube, the listeners, there's a huge brawl in uh, in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium between the Braves and the Padres. And there were drunk fans. They were firing beer on the players. And I think 17 players were ejected. Five fans were arrested. And this was during the negotiations to approve beer sales in the new stadium. So at one point, everyone figured it wasn't going to happen. But but Davis was able to Mayor Davis was able to muster some support from key council members, and they came uh, came up with a compromise. Tim, and that compromise was a designated section in the new stadium for non-drinkers, and 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 that and everyone agreed. Schmidt agreed, Mayor Davis agreed, and the city council agreed, and that that's what uh, made this uh, th this transaction happen. Were that. Uh, Schmidt's uh, AA franchise came to uh, to Huntsville, and that's where the Huntsville Stars were born. So, so that was the compromise: is to to have a a minority seating section for people who chose not to drink. Yes, absolutely. That that, that was the compromise, and and that did the trick. And everyone was uh, was uh, pleased after that. And uh, the stadium was uh, was approved, and uh, Huntsville financed the stadium. And the first night, April nineteenth, nineteen eighty five, over over. 10,000 fans cram that stadium. But why the importance of the beer thing? Because of its lucrativeness in terms of generating revenues at the ballpark during game days? Was Davis perhaps in the pocket, so to speak, of the of the liquor slash beer company or companies in the process? Uh, is there a, so In your research, was there any sort of stuff behind the scenes that was maybe further driving that? Uh, great, great, great question, Tim. I, I think that the consensus among Southern League owners was that a, a minor league club cannot be successful without revenue from beer. And I think that was and and Larry Schmidt was able to sell beer at Herschel Greer Stadium in Nashville, where the sounds played. And I'm sure he saw he saw what those figures brought in. So he, he, he was adamant uh, to, he wanted to sell beer for that revenue. And he insisted if he, if, if Huntsville was not going to allow to sell to that would allow him to sell beer in that new stadium, he was not going to bring that franchise there. All right. So we're, let's bring back the A's to this conversation because uh, as Huntsville um, gets its uh, sea legs in, in its first season in 1985, they are officially uh, affiliated with the A's come 1985. How does that, how was that sort of um, coming about? Because they were not part of the Nashville uh, situation before they moved, correct? No, no. And and Tim, everyone thought, assumed, like again, that the Yankees, the, the storied Yankees were going to bring their double-A club to Huntsville. And that was, I think that was a selling point for the Huntsville City Council to approve the deal thinking that the Yankees were going to be coming to town. Well, okay, so but, where did that come from? Where, where, where does that come from, right? So is this a competitive situation that uh, Schmidt is, is beating them at the at the pass for, or or is this just sort of 
it, was it was he engaging in a bidding war to you know where do the Yankees come into this and how? Well, well, that the story now goes to Albany, New York, and the Albany, New York, uh, they had a new ballpark called called Heritage Park, and the owner of the Albany Colony A's was a, a gentleman by the name of Ben Bernard. Now, the A's planted their double-A affiliate there in Albany, New York, in 1983. But since Schmidto took the elevated Nashville to AAA, the Yankees' double-A farmhands needed a, a, a place to, to play. And their, the Yankees needed a place to plant their double-A franchise. So uh, once Ben Bernard, the owner of the Albany col Colony uh, team, got word that the Yankees were available, and Billy Martin uh, was he, he he was a part of the Yankees leadership group behind the scenes. He pulled some strings to bring that the, to draw that Yankee farm club to uh, Albany, New York. So the Yankees' arrival in Al Albany, New York, pretty much left the A's Double A affiliate homeless. So and that's where uh, an Oakland A's executive, Walt Jockety goes to uh, to Huntsville, meets with Huntsville officials, sees this excitement surrounding a new stadium there, uh, meets with Don Mincher, who's, who's, who was the late Don Mincher, who was Mr. Baseball there, and he was the general manager of the Huntsville Stars in 1985. And that's where they, they, they formed this partnership, and he signed a two-year working agreement to, to bring the A's AA affiliate to Huntsville. So here again, to, to avoid any confusion, the, the 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 Yankees double-A affiliate went from Nashville to Albany, New York, and that kicked the A's double-A double-A club out of out of uh, Albany, New York. And the 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 Albany Colony A's general manager was just a huge Yankee fan, so he, he can wait to bring the the Yankees there. Especially, they're going to be closer to Yankee Stadium. They're going to be in Albany, New York, the capital region, and so the A's need the A's double-A uh, club was homeless. And that's where they eventually uh, uh, partnered with the city of Huntsville and Larry Schmidt. Crazy. I mean, you know, good luck trying to keep it. You, you can't keep you can't uh, understand the game without without a scorecard, literally and figuratively. Yeah, there's a, a lot of like I call it a uh, chapter musical chairs, a lot, lot of cross franchise uh, movement at the time. And I think it's interesting because Billy Barton was just had just been fired from managing the Oakland A's. And now he's basically a part of a plan that that's bringing the Yankees and overtaking the A's double a uh, farm club in, in Al Albany and leaving the A's needing a place uh, to go. So I thought that was interesting too. Well, how much of this is, is a genius by, by Schmidto and how much of it is just sure, just dumb luck, right? Does he kind of know that there's sort of like this, uh, I don't know, game of chairs, musical chairs going on in terms of, yeah. And, and, I, uh, perhaps some heat around this Huntsville uh, team that seems to be gen that either was planned to be or or was starting to show some real you know fervor for the game. Yeah, well, he he respected the A's organization in their minor league, uh, uh, their minor league system. Schmidto being a, he, he was a baseball guy. He knew baseball. He was a coach, and as a as an owner of a Double A franchise. He always followed closely the single-A players in the single-A farm clubs. So he knew the, the A's single-A farm club had, had, had a lot of uh, premier stars and were winning. 
So that that enticed him also to to partner with the Oakland A's. He always he always followed closely and studied the, the minor league affiliates, uh, the the minor league teams be, at the the below level. So and that's where him and him and uh, Walt Jockety uh, formed a bond. And they they had met they had met before uh, in during the winter meetings, but they never uh, they never uh, agreed to you know come together as an affiliate ownership with anything like that. But I think that uh, the Ace loaded farm system uh, was was very attractive to Schmidt, and it, it it proved he proved to be right because it, that that roster was just was just was just star studded. That that the nineteen eighty five Huntsville Stars had the, the who's who in minor league baseball. Well, so so you're intimating that the A's had a pretty heavy hand in shaping the composition and the. I, I guess also the running of the franchise or where, where are the lines drawn between the parent club and Schmidt's new double a franchise? Well, I think Schmidt and Don Mincher, the general manager, they're, they're, they're the hosts. So they're going to promote the club. They're going to uh, entice the, the residents to come to the ballpark, but ultimately, ultimately as far as player personnel, uh, that purview lies in the hands of the A's brass. And they control player movements. They control promotions, demotions, uh, trades. But uh, Schmidto and the city of Huntsville and uh, Mincher, they were uh, their uh, latitude was just hosting, hosting the club. They, they had no say into which players they're going to get. They were just get, they were just there to host the club and 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 have and sponsor promotions during the season to draw fans to help with revenue. All right, what's this? Game time? Fantastic. Hey, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can snag the tickets without the stress with the Game Time app. And I will tell you, the Game Time app has gotten me out of a couple of jams on more than a few occasions. I'll tell you, a couple of weeks back, I travel fairly often for work. I was stuck in New York. I had uh, dinner plans fall through uh, during a business trip. I was leaving the next morning, uh, but I had some time on my hands. And what's a sports guy like me to do? Well, scouring around to see if there are any events going on. And sure enough, the Knicks were playing the Nets at home at the world's most famous arena. So about an hour before the game, I fired up the Game Time app and uh, found a decently priced ticket. I won't tell you what <laughs> the people around me paid for their ticket, but it was, certainly wasn't nearly as expensive as theirs. And I got to watch the Knicks uh, uh, in a rare uh, moment of uh, uh, amazingness, uh, kick the snot out of the nets. Uh, but that's uh, game time is uh, the place uh, to get your last-minute tickets. Uh, they've got a tremendous set of deals, flash deals they call them, uh, and last-minute tickets. Uh, they're easy to find and buy uh, for just about every kind of event you want, sports, and entertainment, music, that kind of stuff. The images, the seat views are just perfect. They're great. That's that's always like the, the big uh, conundrum when you're looking at a, uh, a seating chart. You have no idea where you're going to be, uh, what your view is going to be like. And Game Time's got uh, probably the best imagery that I've seen of any of the uh, ticket sites out there. And, of course, they've got a lowest price guarantee, including event cancellation protection. So you know you're going to be covered in case. As a matter of fact, that the Game Time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section uh, and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of 
the difference. Uh, don't believe me? Try it for yourself. Download the Game Time app now, create an account, and then on us, use the code GOODSEATS for $20 off of your first purchase. Again, that's the Game Time app. And uh, it's also, uh, you can check them also out at gametime.co. Uh, but get the app, download the app now, create an account, and use the code GOODSEATS for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply for sure. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. It's Game Time. Thank you, Game Time, for your sponsorship of this week's episode. And now, back to our conversation. How enthusiastic is the populace about this team, whether regardless of its A's connection or not? I mean, you're mentioning it. It's at this point, it's about almost 30 years, 25, maybe 30 years uh, since baseball had been play, played professionally in Huntsville. I mean, maybe describe Huntsville a little bit. I mean, I think it's it maybe lost on a generation or two about how important and what Huntsville's role in the space program was, but um, you'd think that after having such a large role in that program, that by at least the 1980s, they would have had a, some, I don't know, additional cultural expansion because of it, but no baseball until then. I mean, I, I guess I'm just curious as to why it maybe took so long and maybe what was sort of going on in, in Huntsville as a community besides, or maybe the halo of the Space program was starting to wear off at that time. I don't know. Yeah, and and I think the the challenge again was always uh, just to to finance a suitable uh, stadium uh, for minor league baseball. And there were talks, but what talks dissolved. And you have a, a leader in Joe Davis who really wanted that 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 club there. So uh, and and I think that the the residents. What made this this story special is the community there. They just. They treated uh, these young minor leaguers like royalty. Um, they made, made they made them uh, the, the Beatles of Huntsville, and so I really I really you know, as, as Ray Thoma, he was a third baseman uh, on the Stars. He told me it was as if this community this community in Huntsville was was searching for their long lost son, and they got a whole team of them. I mean, they just uh, embraced uh, the Stars, and, and, I, and I don't think that it was the big names. Uh, on the Huntsville club, the big prospects, because I think a lot of the Huntsville residents, they didn't know any of the players coming. They weren't following the, the, uh, the A single A affiliate uh, in the minor leagues, but the A's, this, the Huntsville stars came out 14 and five out of the gate to open the season with a sparkly new stadium. And the city, uh, I mean, this, this farm club just electrified uh, the city. So I think I think uh, there was a void there. And again, the, the community, uh, the, the young kids in, in Huntsville needed a, a place to go after school. And the stars fit the fit the bill. And the the I mean the fans they would invite these players over for dinner. If a player uh, had an itch to go fishing, a, a resident would take him to a fishing hole. If a player needed to get cash their check. Uh, a fan would would drive them to uh, to 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 cash their check, 
you had something called host families where, where prospects, these minor leaguers would stay with families. And there was one resident that there in Huntsville that, that owned an entire or managed an entire apartment, apart, apart, apartment complex and dozens of stars uh, players live there. So it, it was a, it was a special bond and romance between uh, the community and this team. Uh, before we go a little bit further, tell me about the Southern League itself. Um, how embracing uh, uh, of a brand new franchise were they? And, and you know, it's a double A sort of circuit, but it's also one that seems to have been during at least during this time, pretty vibrant in terms of talent and play and competitiveness. Um, I guess I'm, I'm curious as to what this Southern League was all about around that right. time. And this, the Southern League, it, it's a double A league. And with a, a double A, I mean, you're, you're, it, the double A is filled with prospects. And usually once a player gets to double A, then their, their, their trajectory, it's going high. And uh, it, but it, but it's constantly testing the, the makeup of, of players. Uh, Walt Jockety, uh, a baseball executive, told me if, if a player can do well in double A, he probably could do well in the major leagues as well. So it was a very, very com competitive league and more sophisticated than single A. Southern League, the, the, the travel was very challenging and there was humid, sweltering conditions that drained players. And you had these long bus rides from four hours to 10 hours going from city to city and uh, where, where the, the evening game ends at 10 o'clock. And the team is loading and headed for the next city at midnight. So they're uh, traveling all night to the next city. And uh, they're traveling all night on windy, dark roads. And the manager sometimes use the, has to use the fungal bat to keep the, the driver awake. So, so this is the proverbial bus league then, huh? Uh, absolutely. And you have to remember back then in 1985, Tim, there was no iPhones or smartphones or iPads. Uh, you were lucky to have a cassette player. I mean, you were hip if you had a, if you had a cassette player. So these kids would, would these kids these minor leaguers would have to muster up their own entertainment, and they would they would have fun by interviewing each other and pretending they were they were facilitating radio shows. So it, it was just a, those were the elements. And as I mentioned, the Southern League and and Double A baseball it constantly tested the makeup of these young kids. It's also interesting, too, this is uh, in, I think it was in 1976, and I don't know if this was unique to the Southern League, if they were uh, in the vanguard for this, or or they were just following some type of, uh, of uh, I don't know, fad or, 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 or pattern, I guess, with other leagues. But they uh, began a split season format, um, which I don't know how common, frankly, and this is my ignorance, that was in the minors, but uh, it certainly makes for different dynamics as well. And uh, it seems like it made, uh, by most accounts, the Southern League pretty darn competitive because you essentially had two seasons within one. Yeah, and that, that was interesting information for me to to learn about as I as I followed and wrote this story. Uh, there were there were actually two seasons. Uh, in this season, for example, the Huntsville Stars won 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 the first half. Another Southern League club won the second half. So you you had you. But so just because the Huntsville Stars didn't uh, win the second half, because they won the first half uh, of that season, they automatically clinched a spot in, in the playoffs. And so that's kind of how uh, it, it was just very interesting how it all 
how it all played out. So by the first half of the of the season, the sun, the, the Huntsville Stars already clinched a, uh, a a playoff spot. And as we know, they they end up beating the Charlotte O's in a in a in a, in a very uh, crucial, chilling five game uh, five game series. They ended in Charlotte. Well, let's talk about some of the players, uh, because uh, unbeknownst to many people, although they were probably all sort of tabbed with being future stars and of great talent, uh, you know, to to be prepared for hopefully someday minor league, excuse me, major league play. Um, you look at in retrospect all these years later and uh, the eyebrows are a bit arched when you look at some of the names that just happened to be in the original composition of the first ever team in 1985. And I guess the question is, well, two questions. Number one, how about laying a few names on us? And then number two, is this through sort of genius or dumb luck or some combination thereof that this not so obvious star studded roster sort of comes to be at this time at the very beginning of their journey in Huntsville? Yeah, I think it was the timing of the rise of Oakland's prospects, uh, Tim. I think that uh, after Billy Billy Martin left uh, the A's, and we had this whole Billy Ball phenomenon. Uh, Billy 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 Ball style was kind of an instant gratification win immediately. Whenever an organization brought Billy Martin on, you know he was going to try to win immediately. But when when he left the A's brass wanted to shift their attention to their farm system. So they really focused on investing in their farm system and the drafts. So early, early in the early 1980s, the, the A's just pulled off some, some, some great drafts and graft and drafted some, 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 some really premier talents. So I think that was kind of the focus in, and the 1985 Huntsville stars were kind of a reward of their due diligence with drafts and the minor league systems for about two or three years. Um, uh, on the starting rotation for the Stars, you, you had a starting rotation of Tim Belcher, Eric Plunk, uh, the late Daryl Ackerfelds, Greg Cattaray, uh, and Joe Law. I mean, four of those starting pitchers uh, pitched in the major leagues. And in, in total, uh, 15 of, of the stars who played on the stars at some point in that 1985 season eventually reached the major leagues. Uh, in the outfield, from left to right, you had Luis Polonia, who had a long uh, major league career, Stan Javier, long major league career, and of course, um, Jose Canseco. All three catchers played in the big leagues Terry Steinbach, Charlie O'Brien, and, and Brian Dorsett. So they, they were just star studded, but by by July, uh, the A's lost their top. Uh, this is this has to do with the politics of minor league baseball. They lost their top pitcher and hitter, uh, top pitcher Eric Plunk and hitter Jose Canseco to Triple A Tacoma. They got drafted, so they still had to finish the season and win the championship after losing uh, their two top players in July, and that that was a challenge for them. And how did the players sort of t take to this? I mean, uh, where were they? Where were the bulk of them before? Were they just sort of it, these are just natural moves from either single A or triple A or even maybe being reassigned from from major league or maybe even just a, a spring training uh, rookies that uh, didn't make the cut and need some seasoning um, from the big club down to I, it, was it? An, I guess the question is, was this a normal assemblage of players that a typical double a team would be putting together 
in a normal sort of season? Or was there something, I don't know, more concentrated, more focused, more, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, more um, intentional, I guess, in, in putting this together, this team? Well, I think the parent club, the Oakland A's, knew this core and crop of prospects were going were gonna to be their their crop in the big league level a, f- a few years down down the line. So I think they wanted to keep all these players in Huntsville in Double A to to play together. Uh, they played under manager uh, Brad Fisher, and he he was a rising managerial star as well in the A system. As the young prospects uh, rose in the system, so did. Did Brad Fisher? So I, I think it, it was a matter of of these players coming up and in the timing. They were a lot of them were slated to play in Double A, and they came they came organically from Single A uh, in 1984. You had the Single A Modesto A's. They had two Single A affiliates that they came from: the Single A Modesto A's and the Single A Madison uh, Muskies in Madison, Wisconsin. So they those players from both of those uh, farm clubs populated. The, Hunts, the Huntsville Stars in 1985. Plus, you had uh, trades. Uh, in December 1984, the A's traded superstar Ricky Henderson. And in that seven-player trade uh, came came Eric Plunk and Stan Javier. They were critical to Huntsville's success in 1985. And also, and I dedicate a whole chapter to this in, in, in the book, Tim, is the acquisition of Tim Belcher in the, a very controversial free agent compensation pick they 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 landed him in February of 1984 uh, from the from the Yankees after losing uh, free agent Tom Underwood. So you had you had a lot of the players got there organically, but also through through trades and also uh, the uh, free agent compensation. How about the fans? Uh, it sounds like uh, like almost literally from the get go that there was a not only warm embrace, but a very enthusiastic one. Um, and I'm guessing there are a couple of factors to that. Number one, maybe not immediately uh, uh, understandable, a pretty damn good competitive team. Number two, a brand new stadium. Number three, a brand new team altogether out of nothing the year before. Um, I guess I'm I'm curious as to where that enthusiasm comes from. Is it just because it's new and shiny and quote unquote, big league, you know, the fact that it's a pro team coming to town for the first time in a long time. But what, what do you, how do you, because I can see obviously as the, the years, as the year went on, uh, their play and their competitiveness certainly didn't hurt either. But in the beginning, it was pretty, uh, still pretty, uh, pretty well received in the, from the first days. Absolutely. And I think it was just the freshness, Tim, the freshness of a new team, the freshness of just a dominant, uh, a dominant team. The freshness of a sparkling new, a state-of-the-art new stadium, uh, Joe Davis Stadium, later dubbed the crown jewel of the Southern League. Uh, again, like I said, that the Stars got off to a fourteen and five start. Uh, they were they had this phenom Jose Canseco who was hitting balls uh, near Memorial Park Highway in left field. He was creating he was creating a buzz in the Southern League. Uh, you just have, and they all they all just flock to the stadium. I think it was just uh, just a new toy. And again, I, I think you have to you have to understand and realize this team filled a void. So again, the, this the city of Huntsville, I think it needed 
a major attraction to unite the community. And I think it was just the timing of what this team brought, uh, this partnership with Oakland, this partnership with Larry Schmidto, and this beautiful new stadium, state-of-the-art new stadium that that, that opened uh, in, on April 19th, 1985. So I think it was just just uh, uh, just many factors that that just 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 brought this excitement and electricity in the city. Was the rest of the league enamored with it, uh, jealous of it? Uh, um, I mean, I know it it became kind of a show that kind of stood out uh, from most of the other teams uh, in the league. I mean, I'm I'm just curious if they they felt this was something. Uh, I, I got to think they felt it was kind of a shot in the arm, or or perhaps they maybe just didn't appreciate the fact that Huntsville was getting all this attention, literally out of nothing or out of nowhere. Yeah, and I think there there could have been some jealousy, uh, but but I think the Southern League them she they benefited it could they benefited because um, not only they had they had a new a new affiliate you had the Huntsville Stars, but uh, they this Huntsville Stars drew over three hundred fans that season and they led the Southern League in three hundred fans or three hundred thousand. 300,000 fans that that would be okay. some <laughs> yeah. three, 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 300, 300,000 fans and uh Don Mincher before the season he he hoped for a season attendance of 250,000 uh but over 300,000 filled uh, Joe Davis Stadium that 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 um that season so I think it was uh it was just I think it was uh I think it was a shot in the arm for the Southern League and I, I also I think uh, players, when they saw this dominant team and how uh, how many prospects this club had and this beautiful stadium, I think that other players in the Southern League in these different cities they couldn't wait to come to come to Huntsville and, and play in the in the the quote unquote show there, and it really they they were pumped to pass through Huntsville and and to play games there. So I think it was I think it brought some excitement to other teams. In the league, and uh, but I you know I also think there could have been some jealousy or some uh, managers to say, hey, a lot of these players could be playing in AAA or in the major leagues, but they're playing this AA level. So you could have had some of that as well, Tim. How, how many of your original uh, actors, shall we say, did you get to to talk to in putting this together? How many players, coaches, um, management types, uh, league officials? I mean, uh, obviously, as the years roll on, it gets harder and. People get older and either forget things or, you know, uh, move on from this mortal coil. Um, uh, how much original sourcing were you able to do in your uh, investigation of that that year? Yeah, I think I interviewed uh, more than half of, of the team. Uh, I, I interviewed pretty much all the executives uh, in the A's and some Huntsville officials. Um, the challenging part, uh, Tim, to put this book together with there, there was just not much material at all covering this season there there was not a lot of photos uh covering depicting this season so uh usually newspapers uh have uh they're on archives and newspaper.com or newspaperarchives.com and you'll you could just see kind of a pulse of a tone of what's going on and a lot of the uh, Huntsville newspapers that intimately cover this team, there wasn't just a, not a lot of information online. So I had to fly to Huntsville and uh, and basically live in the library there for about a week. And I found the Alabama uh, Department of Ar Archives where I was able to unearth some photos from from that season. So uh, I'm pretty excited. I think probably interviewed over 75 to 100 people involved uh, in the story players coaches managers uh 
Um, um, Larry Schmidow himself was very generous with, with his time and he's doing he's still doing some great things uh, in, in Nashville, Tennessee there. So but I'm pretty excited because because of there wasn't a lot of material available for this season. Uh, uh, it's it's fresh material in the book. And I'm proud of how like my due diligence was able to to put this team together because you're getting some a lot of fresh material that uh, I worked hard, hard for to uh, to obtain. Any, uh, you got a couple of great quotes along the way in uh, peppered through this book. Any, um, any ones that sort of uh, either come to mind or or players that you talk to and their reminiscences of uh, the team, the town, and and that that first season. I mean, I have to think it was somewhat special on some level. Even for people like Jose Canseco only got to experience half of it because uh, they won a championship, right? And that's that's a cool thing, regardless of where you are, it's still on the professional level. And uh, I got to think that uh, married with the fact of it being a new team and all the enthusiasm in the city, uh, that that must've been, had some special memories uh, for some of those folks that you talked to. There was only one direction you can go after the first year, after the championship year. And so uh, that was indicative of, of, you're not always going to win the Southern league championship. You're not always going to draw over 300,000 fans. You're not always going to have a, a farm club that's going to bring this electricity, and I, and I think the the politics. Uh, what I what I think Huntsville, uh, I think the Huntsville fans had a little difficulty dealing with the politics of minor league league baseball. I think they wanted to to keep the party going when players, uh, a real feisty leader named Rocky Coyle, when he was demoted to to single A in in early June, the fans got together and protested and wrote a petition. Thousands of fans signed a petition to keep him in Huntsville. When Jose Canseco, who they just adored, got promoted to AAA in July, it devastated them because they they wanted to keep this party going. But again, the parent club controls the the, the player movement and the personnel movement. So that was just, uh, I think, an adjustment that, that Huntsville had to make is losing these players because uh, it was a minor league club, but to Huntsville, Alabama, Alabama, it was it was their it was their uh, it was their major league club. So uh, and and I, I like Ray Thomas quote uh, when when he said, uh, I think this is great. He he said that he, it was like it was this was a city craving their long lost son, but they got a whole team of them, and I think that that perfectly uh, just kind of demonstrated fits fits into where. Uh, how the how the stars just uh, they went in there and electrified the city and the city embraced them. Yeah, I, I think that's always the toughest thing for uh, fans of of any minor league team in any sort of professional league is that um, you know the, the success of the team always takes a backseat to the success of the individuals and how well that they are coming along or the seasoning that they need because it's really your you know, you're literally farming, you know, and you're growing crops, if you will, if you want to strain the analogy, into things that are going to be needed for the big table right up uh, in the show. And, you know, if Conseco's having a great year and banging out a whole bunch of homers uh, and helping the stars, you know, lead the league, um, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah, and no matter how how much a, a, of a minor league club uh, means to the city or how much excitement this club is bringing and, and stars that, the, that, that are mushrooming there. 
uh, it's the parent club's decision making and overall vision of the organization that trumps it all. Yeah, it's great. I, you know, I noticed I'm looking at some of the other names. I, I don't think some like Luis Polonia was part of this team. Um, you had um, obviously Jose Canseco. Uh, I mean, I a lot of these players, um, not all, but a lot of these players, you know, went on to pretty substantial careers, if not sort of stand out, you know, major league all-stars, certainly, you know, pretty darn good, um, you know, multi-year, multi-season success. Um, I, I'm, I just, I just wonder if, um, well, so we, I guess the, since you focus on 85, we really don't get a chance to kind of officially sort of get into the sort of the denouement of this story. Right. I mean, they went on to win, two other league titles besides that first inaugural season in 85, both 1994 and 2001. Um, but, I, you know, it's interesting that, you know, in doing my initial research for this, this show is that um, they only lasted not even 30 years in Huntsville. I mean, they, they left in 2014 um, for a whole, uh, a bunch of reasons. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really curious, especially given the preponderance of, you know, some big names that uh, certain fans, uh, fans of a certain, you know, age might remember in, as major league players, Conseco certainly being prime among them. Um, where, where did this history go? I mean, this book is terrific in that it's highlighting the debut season and the, and the freneticism that would sort of went into to launching it literally and figuratively. Um, but it's gone now where, you know, what does what's left in its wake? I, I, I know what's happening to the stadium and it's kind of ironic. You probably do too now. Um, but, but, but where does the story live? So to speak, where, where could that quote unquote pennant sort of be logically housed either, you know, psychically or literally, you know, in, 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 in the real world. And, and, you know, where are the memories and the fans and those guys? What happened sort of in the diaspora, do you think? Well, I think after just that adrenaline rush of the first year, there's always going to be a, a letdown. And that was a special year because you had just some some uh, just top premier prospects there. And, and it was a it was a new toy. And sometimes, uh, as you, I remember when I got my first video games when I was younger. I played them. I played them till till I got tired of them, and then you you start being interested in other things. So this this uh, focus was just on this particular year and just the revival this club brought. Uh, but as you know, the uh, the, the stars that the, the franchise moved moved to Biloxi, Mississippi, in two thousand and fourteen. And it uh, looks like they're renovating it, as you're, you're hinting at, that Huntsville is renovating Joe Davis Stadium now. And you also have the, the Rocket City Trash Pandas. They're the AA affiliate of the Angels. They're, they're, they're located in Madison, uh, Alabama, nearby. And they're, they're, they're considered like a Huntsville team there. So you, you, have, you have that. But I think this was, uh, this was just, this, just a season where it was their first year, and there's, there, there, there's context before the season from, from Larry Schmidt's uh, time in Nashville to Walt Jockety's Farm Club in Albany, 
um, Albany, New York, and these minor leaguers, they're climb in, in the A's organization. So uh, it's just the, this, I think the adrenaline uh, rush of that first season. I mean, you win a champion, the first championship, the first season, you draw over three, 300,000 fans, your first uh, year of existence. Uh, it's, that's a hard act to follow. Yeah. And that's interesting. We always, we always tend to sort of get into, you know, where does, <clears throat> where does that story, where do those championships, where do those memories, shall we say, where, where, where do fans go to, you know, to legitimately, I guess, focus those memories and those, it's not like somebody dying, right. And the, you know, people either get buried or they're put in a mausoleum or something, but there, it's, there's also a, a tangible, almost, uh, kind of place where you could argue that, you know, the, the memories should be, you know, remembered and, 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 and revered uh, to, you know, to kind of go back and, and sort of honor those, those situations in this case, three championships, 1985 being the first one. Right. So, you know, do, do, does this team in Madison, is that the logical place where if there is a reunion of the 1985 club, let's say in two years, um, that that would be the logical place. It's probably not Biloxi anymore because Biloxi, uh, I mean, the, the the natural continuation of the team in Biloxi ended as well in 2014. Um, I mean, I I guess the question is, or is it Oakland A's given all the, the players that sort of came through that farm system and stuff? Or is this just a stupid question and, Maybe the pennants are in somebody's basement and that's all it's ever going to be. Yeah, I think it, it could be uh, a, a lot of what you, what you mentioned. I think the Rocket City Pandas have some Huntsville history since since they were the, the new club coming there. And I know uh, knowing some people in the organization, they have hosted some Huntsville Stars Nights. Um, they're, they're hosting a Huntsville Stars Night in September this upcoming season. I know the Huntsville Downtown Library, when I visited there in Huntsville, they have a lot of Huntsville Stars memorabilia uh, stuff and, and books on the Huntsville Stars and a lot of the film of the Huntsville Times and the Huntsville News with articles. Uh, I know the Huntsville uh, Library recently uh, put out a video on the, the, the Huntsville Stars. So I think, uh, in, in, as you mentioned, I'm sh sure there's some memorabilia and some penance in, in the Huntsville Downtown City Hall and the library, and you're right, in, in the basements of, of fans and uh, employees that were living in Huntsville during that time. Yeah, and, and my mistake, but the the Biloxi Shuckers uh, live on today. They, they've survived the, uh, uh, the uh, absorption and the uh, reconstitution by, by Major League Baseball, but obviously it's a, it's, a, it's a newly named franchise, right? I doubt very seriously, I think especially in the minor leagues, but I could see in the majors it's a little different. Um, I, I am pretty certain that, that virtually nobody in the Shuckers organization or in the, in the stands or in the media there have any sort of, uh, warm fuzzies for, uh, this team in Huntsville that used to exist prior to the Biloxi's, uh, Shuckers uh, franchise coming into play. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. And, and I think a, a testament to, to me being able to put this book together is that, um, these the, the Huntsville residents there that are a little older, they still remember this Huntsville Stars team. They remember this 
uh, what this this Huntsville Stars Club did to them. And they'll, they'll still talk talk about Parkway Jose and and Stan Javier and Tim Belcher and Daryl Ackerfelds. So this still and that's what inspired me to write the book is when I when I, I started uh, covering Jose Canseco's uh, passing through double A Huntsville in 1985. What really stuck out was just the, the freshness, the freshness this club brought to the city. And there are many residents in Hun, Hun, in Huntsville that still that hold this team close to heart. And it's it's a big, huge part of their childhood. So and that's what I was, I was able to interview a lot of fans. And uh, I interviewed uh, the mayor, Tommy Battle. And he was a young councilman that just came into the city council back then. So a lot of them really uh, re remember this team. And that I think that was uh, the muscle to uh, that allowed me to finish the book. So, I mean, it would seem that the Trash Pandas uh, themselves are relocated team from Mobile uh, and, and obviously relatively new. Um, you know, I mean, it, I mean, the pandemic, I guess, kind of sort of put them on a, um, you know, a, a, on a delay. But um, I, they're... I guess if anything of any team, any club, any place that could uh, credibly have either a reunion or throwbacks or some kind of remembrances or ceremony, right? I mean, it, it would seem to be the case that, you know, fans want to somehow uh, remember the good old days that uh, it would perhaps be in the trash panda's best interest to maybe kind of glom onto that and, you know, having a throwback jersey or some kind of, you know, retro thing. And just seems like it could be a natural thing, especially given how many people for your reporting uh, have memories of that time and that team and those people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they've, they, during these Huntsville, uh, Huntsville stars nights they have and Huntsville reunions, they're for a lot of these former stars, they, they've returned to Huntsville. They're invited still. So they do have a database of those players and they reach out to them to to come to events. I think Rocky Coyle, he's went to events, Ray Thoma, Rob Nelson. There's been a lot of players from that Huntsville Stars team that that return there for events that the, the Trash Pandas uh, uh, sponsor there. So I think that uh, I think you're right. The the the, the Trash Pandas, the Trash Pandas uh, do their best to still honor uh, the Huntsville Stars history there. And they'll bring the Huntsville personnel there. And I know they've invited Jose Canseco uh, to, to go there as well and, and other players that played on the team and and some who can make it go there. And I think it's just it, it's it's a uh, uh, it's a testament to them honoring Huntsville baseball legacy and that special Huntsville Stars Club and the, the legacy they left there. Yeah. And well, it'd be interesting, too, I mean, if, they, if, uh, if those players indeed went back to um uh, Joe Davis Stadium. I think they'd be quite surprised come next year because it's being renovated, Joe Davis Stadium, into a soccer field for the uh, the the uh, sister or minor league team uh, for the new uh, Nashville Major League Soccer team in the Major League Soccer MLS Next Division, essentially Division Two. Um, so it's kind of ironic and uh, that that Nashville would sort of re-enter the story, I guess, of that facility, given what was in that facility before its renovation. And that's that's the original baseball team that called it home in 85. Right. And, and the you have to remember Joe Davis Stadium uh, in, in 1984, 85, it was built as a multi-use stadium. So it wasn't just a baseball only stadium. So oh, I see. Yes. Football, yeah. too. Yeah. 
football too, high school sports. Uh, so that was the the vision. So, and I, and you're right. I saw what this new Joe Davis stadium, what it's being renovated in some, some, some blueprints and photos, and it looks pretty hip and flashy with colors and fancy scoreboards. And, uh, it looks very uh, impressive. And I think that's, uh, the the Huntsville city is putting a, a lot of money into renovating that. So, and also it's it just, um, you're, you're, you keep the name, uh, Joe W. Davis stadium. He was a, he was a five term mayor. He passed away in 1992. Uh, but he fought, he fought hard to bring that Huntsville stars team there. And he fought, he fought hard to, to build that stadium to accommodate that club. So I think it's great that it still has the name Joe W. Davis stadium. And hey, he was a five five ter term mayor from 1968 to 1988. Yeah, give it time; they'll sell the sponsorship, and it'll just be a footnote. <laughs> uh, all right, but in, in the in the spirit of that cynicism, here's my sort of last question, and I think you can sort of see this one coming around the corner. And I, I asked this for everybody we talked to lately, especially around anything around related to minor league baseball. Right? We all know what's transpired over the last couple of years, and and Major League Baseball's uh, uh, thumbprint. Uh, all over it now and sort of maybe uh, bringing it much more in line, both uh, economically as well as, um, you know, mindset wise uh, into harmony with the big leagues uh, or big league, shall I even say, I don't even know there's any distinction between the, the American and national leagues anymore. Really there isn't. Um, and you could, you can hear in my voice where this sort of question is going, but, you know, having immersed yourself into I don't know if it's golden age. I don't know if there's ever a golden age of the minor leagues, but in 1985, right? Minor league baseball was a different thing than it is, you know, in 2023. Um, and you've had enough experience with, you know, looking at stuff in the majors as well as the story in the minors. Um, what are your thoughts about how minor league baseball is looking now? Uh, it's alignment much more severely with that of major league baseball and it's uh, oversight and, you know, uh, and and maybe having lost some of these franchises, Huntsville's not one of them in this case, but there were a whole bunch that were excised two years ago, right? So I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are, given the story that you just talked about. And um, I mean, is it just old man yelling at the clouds, as I often sort of accuse myself of, or, or you know, is it indeed uh, some some things lost, I guess, in this new and modern transition? Yeah, well, I think there there's really a, a revival going on in minor league baseball now. I think uh, as an author, I know uh, my book's coming out April April first, but man, I think there's about three or four or maybe five books on minor league baseball coming out this spring, and I've never heard of that before. Um, you you had a, a I've heard of a new stadium that a minor league a new stadium the minor league clubs building for over a hundred million dollars. So uh, I'm sensing a lot of uh, excitement surrounding minor league baseball uh, today. So um, yeah, and, and this is it's you'll you're seeing it uh, uh, promoted on their social media accounts, and you're seeing you'll you're still seeing the Nashville Sounds. They're they're a force, and I mentioned the Rocket City Trash Pandas. So I think there is a lot of interest in minor league baseball, and I think a lot of old uh, minor league baseball heads that maybe coaches or managers that never made it to that big league level, they're, they're, they're loving it. So I think they're right now, and I follow baseball for many years. I think there's a special, uh, there's a special charm in minor league baseball now, and they have some 
great marketing minds in there and fans are going to the game. So I think I think we're uh, something special is going on in minor, minor league baseball. And there's just a, a renewed interest in it. All right, our thanks to Dale. And uh, for those of you wondering, uh, Delivery Stable Pizza is no longer with us. Uh, Alabama.com, uh, which is uh, an amalgamation of newspapers uh, and their website and stuff, did a uh, poll back in 2016, uh, I am told. Uh, uh, for the 11 Alabama pizza places, we, they wish, could uh, be brought back, that they could bring back. And uh, number three on that list, right under uh, Bama Beano's in Tuscaloosa, uh, and Cadillac Cafe uh, in Birmingham is, yes, wait for it, Delivery Stable Pizza in Halen Square in Huntsville. Uh, and uh, sadly, it's no longer with us, but we do have the everlasting memory of Rick Davis calling uh, all the action on that final broadcast of the 1985 season, uh, imploring you, imploring all of us uh, to get Delivery Stable Pizza that evening for 5, 10, maybe even more percent off. Uh, and uh, just a delight uh, to find that clip and and celebrate this great story. Uh, and Dale, thank you for uh, for sharing it with us again. The book is One Season in Rocket City. It's a fun read. How the 1985, he says, Huntsville Stars brought minor league baseball fever to Alabama. It is published by the great folks at the University of Nebraska Press. You can get it wherever books are found. And again, if you'd like to give us some referral love in the process, buy the book through our website, if you would, please, at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Searching up this episode number 303, you will find convenient links to the book there, as well as, of course, all the other episodes that we've ever done. We list them all there. and We have all the books and the media and all that kind of stuff all there for you, nice and centrally located. Of course, you can get this podcast wherever you find podcasts. Uh, that's Apple, that's Spotify, that's Stitcher. You name it, it's available. YouTube, we're even on. Uh, and wherever you can rate and review, leave a positive comment, please do so. That helps uh, the various algorithms out there surface, hopefully, this show or this episode or all of it uh, to uh, people who might just hopefully enjoy the show as perhaps you have just done. We appreciate that immensely. It's the least you can do to support the show. Uh, and thank you for doing so. Uh, would you like to send us email? Please, by all means, we're at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Uh, you can follow us on socials, of course. You can go on uh, Instagram. We're at Good Seats Still Available. You'll find us on Facebook at Good Seats Still Available. And on Twitter, you will find us at Good Seats Still. Our thanks, as always, to the great Jerry Payne. Thank you, sir, for your efforts this week, Of as always. And uh, thank you, of course, for listening. Lots of great stuff in the hopper. Uh, coming your way. Please stay tuned. Check your feeds. And uh, as spring arrives and baseball gets into full gear and all the playoff action, hope you're enjoying it all. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing or seeing or whatever you next week. Thank you again for listening. Take care. Bye.